Welcome to the show today, guys. We have a really exciting uh, interview and conversation um, I want to share with you. As you guys know, I am an ambassador for Love Life out of Charlotte, North Carolina, that exists to mobilize a Christian witness outside every abortion center in the country. Every day they're open, offering the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church that would result in an end to abortion and the orphan crisis. In other words, it's Christianity 101. It's Christians living with the reality of abortion, how we claim we would live if we were living in 1940s Germany, or if we were living in 1850s chattel slavery America, it's the church being the church, loving their neighbor, the only class of neighbors that it is currently legal to kill, preborn children. And so this is a conversation with a new friend of mine named Lisa Washington. Lisa is actually the New York City director for Love Life. So this will be a fun conversation that will bless you because this is between a California pro-life activist and a New York pro-life activist, likely the two most pro-abortion states in the entire country with some of the most debased, disgusting leaders and governors in the entire country as well. But we're behind enemy lines because we're contending for truth so that when we say what happens in New York or California doesn't stay in those states, that will one day be applied to righteousness rather than wickedness. Formerly from CNN to the pro-life movement, Lisa has been on both sides of the culture of death and is all the more of a powerful voice because of it. Buckle up, Lisa Washington is going to rock your socks. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Lisa, welcome to the show today. Hi, Seth. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, it is so fun to become uh, new friends with you. You are a firecracker, I'll tell you something. And uh, we had the, the, the privilege recently of sitting on a panel together um, for a recording um, with Love Life for a special um, documentary and panel discussion that will be released uh, in November. And so I'm sure we'll be sharing more with my listeners with that soon as well and, and have your, your voice back on our podcast. Um, but you inspired me and encouraged me so much, um, especially living behind enemy lines as well um, in New York, um, where being a black pro-life conservative Christian um, is not very uh, popular. <laughs> uh, yes. And certainly the people who quote unquote govern you uh, would not treat you very friendly, and I'm sure you've experienced that. Um, and so I just wanted you to bless and fire up our listeners and, and just have a, a wonderful conversation at, at such a propitious moment together where the church needs to be uniting uh, on life. And I think your voice is so prophetic and powerful um, as we're speaking about waking up the church. But, but firstly, what's your background? Um, and then how did God wake you up, and how did he get you involved in this fight? Sure. Well, Seth, my life has been impacted by abortion on both sides of the issue. Um, I am the youngest of nine children, and my oldest sibling is 20 years older than me. Then I have a sibling that's 19 years, 18 years, 17 years. And so my mom, mom never intended to have a large family. Um, her marriage to my dad was complex and difficult. And she actually did all that she knew to to not have a lot of children, and that included contraception, that included even wanting to have a surgical procedure so that she could physically not have children. But in those days, men, husbands specifically, they had reproductive rights that they no longer have. Sorry about that, Seth, did that? They have, sorry, they have reproductive rights that they no longer have. And 
my dad had to sign off on such a surgery and he wouldn't because he, by God's grace, always knew and agreed with the word that children are a blessing, not a curse. Even though they're born under adverse circumstances, um, children are a blessing from God and should always be welcomed and celebrated. And so that was my dad's position. Um, by the time, though, that my mom found out that she was pregnant with child number nine, nearly 20 years, actually 20 years of her life having children, she was really, really overwhelmed. And, you know, the reality, um, my sad, the sad reality for me in some ways, Seth, is that I was not necessarily a child that was wanted from conception. Um, I don't want to paint uh, an erroneous picture. Once I was I was born, my parents couldn't have loved me more than than any of my other siblings. Right. I'm the youngest. I'm a girl. Um, I'm nice and spoiled, without a doubt. <laughs> but this these are some of the deeper things that were going on behind the scenes. And right. my mom um, also she ended up sharing with me that she knew women at at the time that she was conceived, I was conceived, excuse me, and she was uh, about to give birth to me. She knew women that actually had illegal abortions because maybe what, you know, some people don't realize is that before abortion became Roe versus Wade, a state like New York was actually doing abortions. They, I think if I'm not mistaken, Seth, please correct me if I'm wrong, the first abortion was actually done in Syracuse, New York. And so I was born and conceived right before the abortion on demand happened that swept our country. Yeah. And uh, I realized later on, and of course, since I became a Christian, that God in his providence and his sovereignty, he willed me into existence before my mother had an ability um, to abort me, before she would have had family and friends tell her, listen, you have eight children. You don't need a ninth child. You're pregnant over 20 years of your life. I mean, come on, you know, you have a life and, and this is too much. And so um, I'm so grateful, Seth, that God just, again, in his providence, he used the law. He used my, my father, a, a, not a, an unsaved man, but knew enough about the things of God to value life, to stand for me, to be my advocate. And um, I'm here as a result. You know, I think about verses now like Jeremiah 1, 5, that says before he formed Jeremiah in his mother's womb, he knew him. And that's very much my story. Um, my mom ended up naming me. My full name is Lisa Marie. And she named me after a soap opera actress. And Seth, I tell you, my life has played out literally like a modern day <laughs> soap opera, like the young and the restless. Now I'm older and restless, but that's been my life. But um, in all seriousness, the deeper truth about my name is uh, my name, Lisa Marie, in the Hebrew, it means given and raised up by God. And so um, just like Jeremiah, God knew me. He formed me. He kept me safe. He brought me into the world. He, has a, he had a wonderful plan and a purpose for my life. And I am so grateful for the life that I had, even though my beginning, again, wasn't the ideal story. No child really wants to know that they weren't necessarily wanted, that I could have been aborted. But uh, I've yeah. had a wonderful life given to me by God. Um, but, Seth, I, I hate to say, uh, sadly, even though I was so grateful knowing that my mom was not able to abort me, um, the brokenness of, of these complexities of my beginning, of being somewhat in the middle of my parents' difficult marriage. It caused a lot of insecurity. I was a painfully, painfully insecure little girl, teenage girl. And in that insecurity, I started really acting out. Um, I started binge drinking. I was cutting school. I mean, you. I went from one delinquent 
behavior to another. I started stealing. Mm -hmm. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. And a part of that brokenness manifested itself in ungodly relationships. And I got involved with a young man. And very soon after, um, I found that I was pregnant. And I was a teenage girl. I was still in high school. I had a lot of plans for my life beyond high school. I'd always been a relatively good student. And that certainly did not, my, those plans did not include being a teenage mom. I was born and raised in public housing. So there's that stigma, again, of African-American women as a single teenage girl having a baby out of wedlock. I did not want that to be my story. And so um, I made a very cold, calculated decision with a young man that I got pregnant by, that I would have the abortion. We parted ways. And... Um, and that began the real, real darkness of the soul, uh, Seth. Um, now, of course, here I am. I, I have my own life to reflect on, this wonderful life that God has given me. Now I'm faced with a, a similar choice that my mom could have very well been faced with if abortion was legal um, right. when I was conceived. And, and I knew enough about God. You know, I was not raised, Seth, in a born-again home, but... Uh, a born-again Christian home, but my parents, like many African-Americans, we were raised with a lot of basic understanding about God and morality, and that was very much my story. I went to Sunday school for a year, so I definitely knew some things about the Ten Commandments. I definitely knew thou shalt not murder. And, yeah. and you know what, Seth? Obviously, God's word is always to be the highest standard, but I actually have my own life to reflect on that I'm so grateful that my mother could not take my life, and yet here I was debating, should I do this to my, should I do that to my child? And the wrestling and the grappling went on for four and a half months. And I finally brought myself to go for it with the abortion, just trying to honor the word that I made to the young man that I was pregnant by. And uh, I went and I had this abortion. And uh, what I didn't know, Seth, for sure, heading into it was that I was, I was faced with a two-day abortion because I was now in my second trimester. Heading, I was just two weeks away from being five months pregnant. And this experience left me an absolute shell of myself. Uh, and I can tell you, Seth, you know, looking back, I've told my story many times. And each time, I think one of the things that breaks my heart the most is that even though I was there as a clearly an unsaved young lady, the presence of God, the voice of God couldn't have been more real on the subway to the abortion mill in the waiting room. Um, I ended up having a very dramatic incident at the abortion mill because I was so far. They assumed I was there to have the child. And so the woman that was examining me, she started talking to me about my child like as if I was there to have to give birth. And she ended up giving me some information like the, that my child was sleeping, that its eyes were closed and then the eyes were opened. And I said to her, I kind of like screamed out in horror, I'm not here to have this baby. I'm here to have an abortion. And said she immediately shut down. She, prior to this, she was very friendly. She was very cheerful. She was talking to me. And then as soon as I told her that I was there for an abortion, there was this dead silence, this eerie silence, this coldness for the rest of my exam. And now I had 
more information than than I, I had heading into it. And that made the wrestling that much harder, much more painful. And a woman that was sitting next to me as I was waiting for phase two of, of this abortion appointment, she leaned over to me and she started telling me her story. And then she asked me how far I was. And I told her and she said, well, can I ask you a question? Why did you wait so long? And I said, well, it's complicated. I, I shared the, you know, the, the background story. And, and then that woman's voice was another way that God was trying to reach out to me. And then, Seth, I went into the room for the, the psychological exam of the abortion with an older woman who was there to, quote, unquote, counsel me and give me my options and my choices and to support me woman to woman, quote, unquote. And I started telling her that I'm having second thoughts. Um, they gave me information about the child. I want to know the gender. And she very coldly, very in a very calculated way, she shot down every single question that I had. She started telling me that it wasn't good for me to know the information. It wasn't going to help me. It was going to make me more confused. Um, she told me, right, well, didn't you say that you told the father that you were having an abortion? So are you going to go back on your word? And Seth, I'm telling you, even though I was not saved, I knew that I knew that I knew that this was the voice of the enemy that was sitting right across from me. And I'm thinking about the slogan of this place that said it was a place for women, for women. And this is an older woman that is sitting across from me, looking at me as a teenage girl. Seth, I was shaking like a leaf. I was like a shell of myself. I was crying. And this, this is a woman that is denying me the basic information that I have a right to know so that I could make an informed decision. And then she ended up saying to me, um, yeah, she just didn't think it was wise for me for her to give me any more information. And I literally said to her, don't I have a right to know? And she said, but it wouldn't be good for you. And you know what, Seth, unfortunately, wow. I was already so wounded. I was already so defeated. I was already so vulnerable that I didn't have much fight in me. And so I just went from that interview into the actual now physical preparation for the abortion. And then I remember right before I went in to be prepped for the abortion, I said to her, she explained the procedure that I had to have. And I said to her, what happens if I change my mind overnight? And she said, she, she, she paused, she put her head down and she looked up and she said to me, you still have to come back because we prepped you and you still have to come back. And, and Seth, I knew that I knew that I knew that this woman's goal was to sell me on an abortion and I was too weak to fight back. And I went in and I got prepped and it was an absolute nightmare. I went home that night and God kept speaking to me, even, even though I was already part one of this abortion. He told me as clear as my own voice, I'll never forget it, like the voice of a father, so merciful, so kind, so tender. He said to me, you don't have to go through with this. And I started telling God, all of the, the new age narrative, right? Well, God, what about, what about college? What about a career? What about, what about really, what about me? What about me? What about me? And, and I, I could literally feel like there was a, like a, like a, like a cry and the voice yeah. of God for me, Seth. And, uh, I was, my body was writhing in pain. I had a, I had a raging fever. I barely slept. I went the next day and I had the second portion of this abortion and interestingly enough, Seth, right before I got called in for the, the surgical portion of this abortion, I was the only, I happened to be the only person in the waiting room. And I heard God say to me in that surgical gown, 
He said, even though you've gone this far, you can still get up and you can get out of here. And unfortunately, all I kept thinking of was this counselor's quote unquote voice saying, you're here. We started this. We've got to end it. And I felt trapped. I felt cornered. And I went in, Seth, and I had... I had the abortion and it literally left me without exaggeration. This is not, this is not me being dramatic. It left me a shell of myself, uh, Seth, for years, even after I became a Christian for years, I, I suffered with, um, obvious guilt, low grade depression. Um, I really, really struggled with self-loathing. I really hated myself. Um, I had been told my whole life what a nice girl I had been, what a nice girl, sweet girl, all these things. And I, I hated myself, Seth, for what I did. Not to mention, um, physically, I was sick now from this abortion unexplainably. I started having all kinds of, of health issues that were foreign because I've always been a very healthy person. Um, not to mention that I also started really being tormented by a real demonic spirit, Seth, that would talk to me regularly about murder about death and i thought i was having like a nervous breakdown i thought i was beginning to show signs of mental illness because that's also my family and uh this this plagued me for years and years and years seth and um i'm happy to say you know the bible says that in romans 5 20 where sin abounds the grace of god much does much more abound and one of the ways that that grace was manifested to me is my older sister got saved, radically saved. She's eight years older, so she'd always been like a spiritual mom. She prayed for me for nine years. She eventually invited me to church, and I went to church with her, really out of respect for her. And and the, the, the obvious changes that I saw got making in her life, and on my second visit there, I had a life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ, Seth. I'm talking like life-altering. I'm talking my own Damascus Road experience where I was shaking like a leaf. I heard the voice of God in the midst of 2,000 people. I was like the only person there. I was doubled over in my seat. I literally thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I didn't know that this is what it meant to, to, to meet the Lord for yourself. You know, not now he wasn't a concept in the sky. He wasn't, it wasn't about what, what my parents had told me, the basic things I knew from Sunday school. This is me and Jesus one-on-one in the midst of this incredible um, sanctuary. And I went to the altar, and um, the only thing I remember from that night was God speaking to me, the same voice that spoke to me at the abortion mill, the same voice that spoke to me on my bed that night. He said to me, if you give me your broken life, I will give you a new one in return. And Seth, I got up from that altar, and that was the beginning of a new life in Jesus. Um, I hit the ground running. I started devouring the Bible. I was reading it literally until the pages were being ripped apart in my Bible. Um, I started having very, very intense moments with the Lord and prayer. And it was really through the Word and just one-on-one beautiful moments with the Lord and prayer that I got set free. He literally broke every chain. And um, also, mm-hmm. Seth, one thing that he used so um, out of the out of the blue was I went to order one day the book of Norma McCorvey. I had right. never heard that she had become a Christian and she'd written her, her testimony of how yeah. she got saved. And uh, I went to order the book and 
the order didn't go through. So I, there was a number to call and I called and she answered the phone and it was like, oh my God, this is, this is Roe Ro versus Wade. It was like amazing. And that's no only way. God can do. I was at work. Yeah. Yeah. Seth. And we ended up having <laughs> about an hour and a half conversation. I told her my testimony, like I'm sharing now. And she was so Whoa. kind. She was very gracious and she encouraged me. And, and she told me of course her story and I did my best to encourage her. And that conversation was very pivotal as well in my healing. You know, I, I, I read wow. her book and God really used it. I would literally take it sometimes set with me to do laundry. I'd find myself weeping uncontrollably, but the pain, the residue of abortion was so, so deep. I mean, I was now a Christian. I was fully living for God, but there's such residue and trauma to abortion yeah. that women have no idea of. And yes, I did yeah. go through a, yeah. a particularly gruesome and traumatic abortion, but you know, it's, it's impossible to lay down on that table. You know, the Bible says that we're never to yield our members as instruments of wickedness, but instruments yeah. of righteousness. And so yeah. the deception <clears throat> is, is that you can lay your body on a table and let your body be used as an instrument of murder. And then you get up and that you're the same. And, and even though, again, I was born again, I knew I was forgiven. I knew Jesus loved me. I knew my, you know, heaven was my home, all of those things. There is trauma and residue to abortion. Um, right. Again, that I had no idea of. And God began to unpack it through the word, through prayer, through this conversation with Norm, Norma McCorvey. Yeah. And Seth, I got radically saved. And um, from that experience, again, my birth and then my own personal experience with abortion, um, God deeply, deeply burdened me for the unborn. He obviously has also deeply burdened me for women like me um, that are post-abortive, not just women, but also men. And then yeah. specifically women that are um, African-American like me, we have the, the largest amount of abortions in this country. Uh, we are right now having about 40% of this nation's abortions, even though the African-American population is only 13%. And then, right, if you back out women of that are childbearing age, that's, you know, four to five percent of the population right. that's having almost 40 percent of this country's abortions. And so, Seth, um, these are all deep things that God began to just work in me, mm -hmm. in my heart, in my soul. I was in corporate, as you mentioned. I'd worked for CNN International out of college. Then I worked for a major uh, book publishing company. Then from there, I went to a hedge fund. But I've always been, I had always been burdened and I had always had a prayer request in my heart that God, if you ever release me from corporate, hmm. the one thing yeah. that I would love to do full time is to be involved in the fight for life. Wow. And in 2019, right. <clears throat> he, uh, he began to speak to me, you know, uh, New York City passed that, that hideous, abominable reproductive health act. Right. And I was just heartbroken before the, the bill got, the law got passed. I mean, I found myself weeping, crying um, for the unborn in a way that was new to me for a lot of years. Mm. You know, every year when, when it's the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, I'm very, very sentimental. I do a lot of reflecting. Um, mm. Also because that's, interestingly enough, my, my birthday is the day after the Roe versus Wade decision. No and way. so... I'm just, God just constantly has worked this issue wow. into my life one way or another. And so that week of, of the sanctity of life, I'm always just thinking a lot about the word and life and creation. Mm -hmm. And again, my own story. And um, I found myself like weeks 
before that law got passed, just weeping, crying. And then I was at the mm. time engaged and my, my, my fiance said the same. And we started talking about the unborn. And I said to him, you know, I don't really know what God has next for me. At that time, I had been serving in, at my church in youth ministry. I said, but if there's the next thing I sense that he's going to call me to is to really focus on the unborn. And yeah. uh, sure enough, the Reproductive Health Act got passed. Then I started to get a, a clearer sense why I was feeling so burdened in a way I hadn't in years. And then a few weeks later, my church invited me to an informational meeting that they had, the pastors and the elders had with Love Life. And I got called in to that meeting because my name was given as a person of interest. And uh, of course, I met David Benham and Justin Reeder, and it was like a kindred spirit. I immediately knew this is what I wanted to be given to. And I started volunteering February 2019. I volunteered for two months. And then in May, they offered me the position of the city director uh, here in New York. And I've been off to the races wow. ever since, Seth. So wow. it's been an incredible journey, Seth. It literally has been like a movie. It's been like a like a book. Like, I'm not making any yeah. of this up. This is literally yeah. the truth of my life. Yep. And uh, it's been an incredible journey. And though it, ha- it was such a painful start for me, and obviously, like I said, this abortion, it... it traumatized me for so many years. Um, Mm -hmm. I stand as a living, living testimony. The the devil is meant for evil. God is able to work for good because he's worked it all out for his glory and for my good set, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Amen. That's right, Lisa. Wow. Too many truth bombs there for me to even uh, even start (laughs) with. Um, If our... our, um, media and entertainment industry had any credibility and anything resembling a moral compass. Um, Your story and the story of so many women who are post-abortive and are now being used um, to fight the very evil that they once participated in would be the story and movie um, of of, uh, so many films in Hollywood, um, of, of a journey of redemption and a journey of healing, and then a journey of power uh, being used to speak truth to power, right? To fight systemic evil. Uh, And yet your story is often um, attacked. You're the very individual that the culture, the mainstream media, the New York politicians, the Democrat Party, um, revile and attack as deplorable, as irredeemable, as an Uncle Tom, um, because you dare to stand against the genocide not just of abortion, but of your own population, um, where more black babies are lynched in the womb every two weeks than the KKK lynched in 100 years. Um, And we're told that we should tear down every institution that has roots or a genesis in racism. Very well, then, let's start with the abortion industry and the Democrat Party. Um, But of course, those calls are never consistently made because abortion is the greatest sacrament of progressivism. Um, And I think your life is really a witness and testimony of that because you didn't endure a medical procedure. You didn't make a political decision. You were encountering spiritual warfare with the enemy who's always been behind the killing of babies, who's a lion who prowls around looking for people to devour, and he's always been behind the killing of babies. And you were encountering the dark spirit of abortion because that's really what we're contending against. 
And yet, the culture, Lisa, tells us that abortion is freedom. Abortion is a blessing. In fact, Dr. Gazale Moyedi out of Texas, who recently testified at the end of September in a subcommittee hearing in Congress, she's very pissed off and angry because she's not making as much money because less abortions are happening in Texas and more babies are being born. She's very pissed off that her, that her money isn't generating the same as it usually does, the blood money of children. And she told Congress recently that abortion is an act of love. It's a blessing and it's freedom. Um, and uh, because why? Because they say pro-life laws disproportionately affect the black community. So they take your story of, of pain and then redemption and beauty and they turn it on its head and they say it's actually pro-lifers like you and pro-life laws which harm the black community who disproportionately need abortion and abortion is just reproductive health care. It's a blessing. It's love and it's freedom. Um, and so I think your story is just what a powerful witness against the culture of death. Um, where we're, we're contending against um, as those who are now reviled and attacked. Um, but you're, you smile and you, and, you, yes. and, and, and you count it all a blessing um, to be persecuted along with Christ, the greatest unborn child, uh, the yes. former fetus, our savior who entered human history in a womb. Um, so yes. Lisa, why don't you just share with us a little bit about what, what your life and ministry looks like now? I mean, you're contending in the state of New York, in the city of New York City, your mayor is an actual communist. Uh, your governor is uh, probably as well, who just replaced uh, new, uh, who just replaced Cuomo, um, who also hates the unborn. Um, you're in a city where Margaret Sanger launched her abortion center. Um, the spirit of Sanger and of Moloch is very much welcomed in your city, um, but you're standing against all of that. Share with us what ministry looks like in New York City. Um, outside of these death camps where you're pleading for the life of your neighbors? Sure. So, Seth, as you know, with Love Life, um, the major portion of our ministry is prayer, right? Because, like you said, this is a deeply demonic, satanic issue. And we recognize, again, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against God's adversary, our adversary, Satan, right, who the Bible says has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And... Um, as I mentioned before, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised here in New York, one of the major states that began to start the wave of abortion that eventually became Roe versus Wade. And okay. there is a stronghold here, a stronghold yeah. of murder. And I don't, I mean, I, <laughs> you're coming from California, so you know exactly what I'm talking about, Seth. There is such a stronghold of murder, perversion, greed, pride, all of these abominable yeah. spirits that are behind um, the abortion industry. And it has been a very challenging, Seth, you know, out of the gate, Launch Love Life, September 29th in 2019. And I have to actually say to my shock, um, because New York is, you know, this is a very hard place to live and to minister, but we launched with about 20 partnering churches. You know, there were so many people that were just wow. waiting for an opportunity to, to live out their pro-life views. And so we, for weeks, the, the first few weeks that we started our prayer walks, we had hundreds of Christians showing up, Seth, by the time we closed with our wow. week 40 prayer walk that November. Remember, we were about 250, 300 people, and I just assumed, like, oh, my God, like, we're going to ride this incredible wave. You know, You're you've right. already done something so supernatural. And then we come to 2020, March 2020, COVID, and, and there you have it, Seth. You know, the city's lockdown was on lockdown, still is. It's a shell of what it used to be. Uh, churches yeah. 
actually, are, some churches are still closed. Seth, I mean, I can tell you my former church just reopened a month ago, um, 18 months closed, Unreal. major churches that were closed Unreal. for years. And we really began to see, um, unfortunately, that we were not standing as firmly in Christ as we thought we were. Um, our faith was radically tested. You know, Seth, as you know, in the initial weeks of COVID, New York City was considered the epicenter of the epicenter. And yeah. and sure, it was a very, very dark, devastating time. But I can tell you that God's personal challenge to me, this is a week before the city shut down. I was heading to a prayer walk and God began to speak to me about Rosa Parks. And it was so unusual. I mean, I've thought about her life, you know, throughout the course of my life, because, of course, every African-American loves and honors uh, Rosa Parks for the heroine that she was. But I, have, I don't really think about her on a day-to-day -day basis, Seth, to be honest. Sure. And I'm heading to the prayer walk this one Saturday, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about her. And one of the things that he said to me was, so, like, in her time— Right. She took an incredible stand by sitting and she didn't know, like she got arrested. Thankfully, that's the worst that happened. She could have been killed. She could have, I mean, yeah. some really horrible things could have happened to her, but right. she was willing, right, to stand for what she knew, stand by sitting for what she knew was right. And yeah. he said to me, so now I get to live off I get to live off the courage of Rosa Parks, and obviously many women like her, many other African-Americans and non-African-Americans that stood against uh, Jim Crow laws. Uh, that includes whites, that includes Hispanics. There were many people, but right, primarily the drive was led by Christian African-Americans. And now I get to live off the fruit of this woman's bravery, her courage, her sacrifice, and God said to me, I'm asking you now to do the same for a different people group. She did it for me. Now God's asking me to do it for the unborn. And I was like, wow, okay, God, yes. And then COVID came and New York City shut down. And Seth, as you know, the former governor deemed abortion essential service. And so where we yeah. minister at the, the former Margaret Sanger Center, they had been open for abortions uh, five days a week. They ended up going from five days to six days. And so, you know, I started telling my team what God spoke to me. It's just like, okay, wait a minute. If the mayor and our governor is saying that abortion is essential, there, we need to stand for these babies who have no voice that will now even more are going to be killed. And God said to me, is your life in my hands? And it's like, yes, Lord. And that means my health. Is, wow. is your health in my hands? Yes, it is. And so my team, we were like, listen, for God we live, for God we die, if that's what it comes to. And Seth, I'm not going to sit here and say that it was so easy. At times, there was a lot of anxiety because, again, yeah. COVID was really raging. I knew people personally that were dying from COVID, people in my own family. But, yeah. but God kept saying to me, no, beyond what you see is the need to stand for that which is right. And yeah. uh, Seth, we started going out six days a week. Um, and that was really, I give all the, the credit to my team, this incredible team of brave, mostly women that I serve with. Wow. We were standing there, no mass, just trusting God, you know, and, and yeah. God gave us the beauty of it, Seth, was that the city was shut down. So there was no one to heckle us, no one to mock us. Everybody was <laughs> shutting in their homes, afraid, yeah. you know, hunkering down from COVID. And yeah, so we had blessing. the freedom a small blessing, a total blessing in disguise. <laughs> and yeah, and so Seth, in the three months wow. that New York City was shut down, we saw 30 women choose life. And Thank so again, God. I'm here to say that in the midst of everything that Satan trusts, he means for evil, God is able to work for good. And Thank so, God. yes, it was... Uh,
it's it's very challenging being up here, but we we are determined to stand for Jesus, and we are down in the village. It's a very difficult place to minister. Mm. Extremely progressive, yeah. extremely anti-Christ community. We get mocked, we get opposed, we get. Some yeah. of my team set has actually been assaulted. That's the yeah. truth, but God has helped them to to yeah. uh, shake it off. Like I always pray for them, let it shake, let it let it flow off our backs like water, and let's keep standing and uh, just being faithful. God is with us, right? The devil can only do what God allows. And so, Seth, I'm here to tell you that we didn't stop. By God's grace, we didn't miss a beat. And in uh, the two years that Love Life has been in existence, we've been able to engage um, nearly 170 women. This year alone, wow. we have been able to engage uh, nearly 70 women of that 170, 70 alone has, has been this year. Wow. We just two weeks ago, we received a picture of our 26th sixth baby, um, wow. a mom that chose life that didn't even stay in touch with us. But then she texted us two weeks ago to say, wow, guess amazing. what? I never had the abortion. Here's yeah. my beautiful baby, a beautiful little girl. And so Seth, it's been awesome. It's been very, very hard. I would be lying to say that it hasn't been. I would be lying to say at times I've not been deeply discouraged. The church yeah. has really gone into hiding. Uh, the church has yeah. been on this self-preservation mode to do everything possible right. to keep themselves from COVID. Yeah. Um, well, and so on that also, point, too, Lisa, I mean, there are still churches in New York, California, and across the country who are still telling us, Lisa, that we should abide by the governing authorities, that we should keep our churches shut. And you know what? There are still woke pastors out there, Lisa, who are still making the argument, as was made by many of these woke pastors in 2020, that the legislation and public health guidelines, Lisa, they're not specifically targeting the church. Uh, we're all inconvenienced by these orders, and so we just need to abide because if we don't, then you don't love your neighbor, Lisa, and you're trying right. to kill granny, and you're a super spreader. And Tim Keller's Gospel Coalition that he started just did a piece a few weeks ago, Lisa. Basically, the, the name of the article was something like, um, it must be hard for women to be told to submit to their husbands when their husbands are not submitting to the governing authorities. That was the premise of the article. I'm like, oh yeah, you mean the governing authorities who declared abortion essential, strip clubs essential, and weed dispensaries essential? So you could kill your baby, get a lap dance while you were high, Lisa, but you yes. couldn't worship Jesus in your church. And if you're Mayor Bill de Blasio, by the way, you're in the streets of New York City sharing champagne bottles with strangers after Biden's elected, sharing saliva and spittle, because of course mm -hmm. COVID only targets Christians and conservatives and pro-lifers. It doesn't target leftists, because don't you know, Lisa, COVID is woke. What's my point? <laughs> my point is that Tim Keller and these woke pastors and others who abided and kept their churches shut, they weren't willing to endure financial persecution and consequences to stand against the tyranny of lockdowns, which were hurting their neighbor and increasing the abortion rate. So if you can't endure and count the costs financially, Lisa, to stand against the tyranny of just masks and shutdowns, how could you be prepared to endure the consequences of standing against the tyranny of abortion, the spirit of abortion, where in California right now, Newsom Lini, Lisa, just passed a bill saying no picketing vaccination sites or handing out literature or trying to counsel people outside of vaccination sites. Guess who does vaccinations? Planned Parenthood. 
Planned Parenthood is a vaccination site. Of course, this was an intentional way to attack sidewalk counselors who bravely do the work that you do. He also just passed a bill letting 12-year-olds charge abortions to their parents' insurance plans without parental consent or knowledge, and the insurance company can't inform the parents who are the legal guardians that their minor is killing their parents' grandchild. And now if you pick at vaccination sites, quote unquote, you could be arrested and, and thrown in jail for up to six months. Now there's a lawsuit, of course, with a life affirming group in California against Newsom in the state of California. But what's my point? My point is you're not gonna be prepared to stand against the tyranny of abortion and the way that the left will, will rally to protect that sacrament if you can't yes. even stand against tyrannical orders that shut down the church but allow all of the services that the left really likes to operate fully open. Um, and, and so what we're contending against is a spirit, an evil spirit that has always preyed on children, has hated children, doesn't believe they're a blessing, and wants to indoctrinate young people to believe that the blessing of liberty and freedom is actually killing your children to enjoy sex without responsibility. Because for the left, sex and abortion are both the gods of that alternative religion. That's what we're contending against. All of these yes. peripheral political issues are really just a distraction to keep the American polity silent and the pulpits and the church silent. You keep your liturgy in the church, Christians. Don't you go out there and contend in the public square. But that's what you're doing. You're going out in the public square and you're contending against the tyranny, the spirit of abortion with truth, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the former fetus. So anyways, I'm just, I'm just so fired up by your story and heart. Um, as, as we start to sort of wind down, um, I, I want to, I, I'd love to hear some, some stories of, of the way that God has used you and your team in the lives of these men and women who I assume some of, some of whom have actually come to the Lord and are raising their, their new babies in the Lord, uh, have been saved and baptized um, all because the church showed up. Yes, so we've, we have, like, like I said, we've been able to, by God's grace, engage over 170 women. Now, you know, Seth, I, I don't know if it's the same for you in California because the atmosphere in some ways is a lot more relaxed. You know, everything here in New York, we literally, we live on a New York minute. Everything is go, right. go, 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 go. And yeah. um, we're so compressed with all of these millions of people that you, it's very hard to, um, to immediately especially when you're talking about women that are dealing with this incredible trauma and under this, this deep darkness for the walls to come down and then for them to immediately begin to open themselves up to build relationships. So in other states where love life is, it's been more slow going with the moms signing up for our mentorship program. But we, by God's grace, we have had some, but it is an area where I'm constantly praying because just of the nature of this city, of the city that we live in, it's hard engaging people and getting people to relax mm. and obviously trust you and build friendships right. and ultimately relationships. But yeah, we have seen some beautiful stories. Uh, I think about this one mom said last summer who was uh, almost six months pregnant. She showed up, she pulled up in front of Planned Parenthood in Manhattan and her belly was just so full of life, Seth. And I remember when she got out of wow. the Uber, she was with her boyfriend and she was with her other two children, small children. And I, oh. I immediately, my heart sank like, God, please don't even tell me that she is here for an abortion. And um, my my former coworker, she immediately sprung into action. She started sharing. I stood at the door. I started praying and interceding for the conversation. And uh, Seth, it got so intense, literally, 
once my coworker started telling her like, hey, you don't have to have this abortion. We're here, you know, there's a church. We'll come alongside you. We'll help you with practical needs as, as much as we can, even up to two years of that child's life. She became more open. And then she, in Spanish, because she didn't really speak much English, she said to her boyfriend, she started screaming on the top of her lungs, why don't you be a man? Why don't you take responsibility? <laughs> and she, and the workers from Planned Parenthood came out, said there was like, like a little show. The workers Whoa. came out, the manager came out, they were all watching, people were passing by, and then people start cursing me and my coworker for interfering. And uh, she dropped herself on the sidewalk and just hopelessness and despair, she was sobbing. Um, and my coworker sat right on uh, the ground, right next to her. It's one of the most beautiful pictures that I'll, I hope to never forget, just watching the love of Jesus sit on a New York City sidewalk, as filthy, dirty as it is, cars passing, and she just sat there. She started sharing with her about the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. We got on the phone with another Love Life counselor who speaks Spanish. He counseled with her for an hour. She ended up calling one of her, her family members, an older woman that came on the scene. We waited until she showed up. And um, she texted us later that day, wow. Seth, to say, um, I'm not having the abortion. I'm standing firm, basically wow. regardless of what her, her boyfriend told her. <laughs> and uh, we were so thrilled that fall to help her with a baby shower. She wow. signed up for a mentor, one of the godliest, most dedicated Christian young mentors that we have here in New York. They gave a beautiful shower. Her whole family was there unsaved. They gave us a moment to share the gospel. They honored prayer. Even um, one wow. of my, my team members said that at one point people were smoking cigarettes and stuff, and, and the, the young lady's grandmother was just like, everybody stop, everybody stop. <laughs> like, basically, like, let's have some reverence. And uh, <laughs> she gave birth last, last December, said, to a beautiful baby girl who's almost going to be one year, and she's still in touch today. She's She hasn't... Given her life to Jesus as of yet, but she's still in touch with her mentor. She's growing in grace. And uh, that's just one of some really beautiful, beautiful stories that we've just this year alone, we've helped with two baby showers. Um, there's a mom who I had the privilege of helping to counsel this past spring that was five months when she was thinking about having an abortion, it was a really intense back and forth, uh, trying to encourage her to not have the abortion with her saying she was going to do it. This dragged out Seth like two months. And then we, we lost touch with her. And then she texted me and my coworker who was also really key and sharing with her. And she sent us a picture of the ultrasound of her son. And she said, I just want to let you know, I didn't go through with it. I'm having a boy. She names him Elijah. And uh, wow. she invited me to his to her shower. Um, her brother is a Christian, and he totally came alongside her and stepped in where the father wasn't stepping in and just mm. honored her and celebrated this precious little baby, Elijah. And wow. uh, I'm still in touch with her. You know, she might be relocating to the South, but um, this these are just a couple of stories, beautiful yeah. stories, Seth, of what God has been doing up here. Um, in one of the hardest places, God wow. has shown himself to be the light that shines in the wow. darkness, and the darkness will never, ever be able to extinguish it, Seth. Never, right. never, That's never. Right. And, and Jesus' light is shining through his church. And for sure, I know I need more boldness. Seth, I like I said, I would be lying to say at times I don't have anxiety. Um, oh gosh, you know, yeah. it's the opposition. It's fierce. It's a very nasty community where we are. Yeah. And 
you know, Seth, one of the things that sometimes breaks my heart the most, we don't even get as much opposition from the women coming into Planned Parenthood. It's the women that live in that neighborhood that curse us, that mock us, all of these very, wow. very atheist, um, progressive, yeah. liberal women, you know, with, like you said, this their God is, their, their life, their body, their autonomy, this empowerment. They give us the hardest time, and that is... Mm what is probably the hardest, Seth. Yeah. You know, like I've said to some women that live in that community, if I was standing in front of this building and I told you that babies were being tortured, that, excuse me, that puppies were being tortured, mutilated, gas poisoned, because here in New York, especially yeah. Seth, people love their dogs, they love their pets, and especially in that community, people stop yeah. and they ooh and ah over a dog or a puppy that passes yeah. by. And I, say, I said to this one woman, if, if I were standing here and I told you that inside this building they were gassing, mutilating, destroying 11,000 puppies a year, you would call yeah. me a heroine. For sure you yeah. would. You would call me a heroine. But how tragic that we're talking yeah. about babies, defenseless, the most defenseless amongst us, Seth, that you call me a villain, that you demonize me, that you curse me. And then especially, again, as a black woman, I'm standing for the ethnic group that God allowed me to be in, the group that is being most destroyed by abortion. You Bishop. call me like a demon. And so it's it's just incredible, the deception, Seth, the lies, yeah. the blindness, the hypocrisy. Um, and, and I need grace, because, Seth, I've got a very fiery side, you know. It's, it's definitely, the yeah. Lord is very merciful and kind. Um, um, and, and I try to be, but it is, it's hard, again, being African-American as well, just knowing firsthand yeah. what this issue is doing to this, to our, to, to my ethnic group. Yeah. And especially, like you said, in light of the year that we're coming off of with all of these conversations about racism and prejudice and, and the quality of life for black people. And why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about what that's like? Because you're outside of the Margaret Sanger Square. You're mm -hmm. literally at Sanger Square, and the abortion center that was called the Margaret Sanger Abortion Center until recently, uh, yes. when even Black Lives Matter Incorporated and the Democrats realized, oh, maybe we should distance ourselves a little bit from this racist eugenicist who wanted to control and eliminate the black population. Uh, maybe yes. that's not such a good PR uh, strategy. But the square there is still called the Margaret Sanger Square. Um, you're literally contending with the spirit of Sanger, um, who you survived. Um, and we yes. worked on a project together recently about that, which I'm sure we'll... Um, be sharing more with my audience soon as well. But what's that like um, in that community? And has there been any um, headway in shaking the spiritual and moral conscience of the citizens in that district with the truth of the evil that they're participating in? Uh, we're told to tear down every structure, right, uh, Lisa, that reminds us of systemic racism. Uh, well, yes. then let's start with Sanger and that abortion center. Um, and, and has the light ever broken through and has people's eyes ever been opened to what they actually champion and support, which is the very thing that they are telling us we should uh, tear down in our country unless it's abortion? Yes. Um, I can tell you, Seth, that I have had, because generally speaking, you know, my job here in New York is to oversee the work. So I'm not like, I'm not a sidewalk missionary. I'm not a counselor. Sometimes, again, I've joined my team to counsel. Um, 
And again, since I'm post-abortive and I'm African-American, God uses those things to give me more of a, of a headway with, with a lot of women. And then again, Seth, you know, in light of everything that happened in this, this country last year at the height of all of the riots and the protesting, um, God really just challenged me to just go for it. You know, down at this Planned Parenthood where we are, um, the former director, she was African-American. The manager, he was black. There's like wow. a couple of key security workers that are black we see sometimes black workers and you know when when it was slow and we weren't there when we weren't actually in the moment engaging with the mom um god told me to just start speaking the truth start calling it out and again mm. what are people going to tell me that i'm a racist i'm a I, you know what are you going to say i'm a racist I'm, and i'm talking and 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 i say in all i say in all sincerity seth you know it's like I think about Nehemiah and how he was very first and foremost, he was a man of God, but he was also a Jew. And the Bible says, right. you know, in, in Nehemiah 1, his heart was broken for his people. And that's very much right. how I feel. You know, I'm Christian right. first and foremost. My identity is not as, as a female. It's not in being black. I'm, I am a daughter of the king, but I am also right. African-American. God made me this way intentionally. And he wants to use that part of my life very much. To, to be a voice for this for my ethnic my, my ethnic community and um, for the most part I can tell you um, you know I had one security guard very nasty when when at me but the others they were pretty much quiet because again what are you gonna say what are you gonna say yeah. to me um, yeah, I, I look just like you you know and and I'm on the opposite side and I'm pleading with you as a black woman to a black person yeah. to please if you and I said you know this I remember last summer specifically I remember saying to the director they made this statement about how they're so they were so heartbroken about all of the senseless loss of life with black people from the George Floyd right. shooting. And I said to her, if that is true, right? Again, black lives matters. You you are literally destroying the very life that you say you want to see. You want to see freed and and not be oppressed. That's you right. are on the front lines of killing them, and you're doing it for profit, Seth. That's right. You know they didn't have anything to say. Literally, you're doing it for profit. Literally, the word Seth of one of the of the black managers at this Planned Parenthood. He said that he knows what he's doing. He he does know, but the reality is that he gets paid a lot of money. And, and it's heartbroken. He won't actually have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, but these are some things yeah. that he's mentioned to my team. Yeah. Um, so, so there's been, I haven't really seen a lot of headway in terms of the staff, but I can also tell you that every time I've been yeah. out there to council with the black women that are coming in, I have been intentional about sharing about Sanger. I've been intentional about sharing her, her, her satanic ideology. Um, I've shared yeah. my own story. Um, I've shared stats about what abortion is doing to the African-American community. We're nearly 20 million, Seth, aborted since 1973. So I can tell you that people have stopped. They've listened. I don't really know at the end of the day that some yeah. maybe perhaps not go through, but I know that I've, I've not been silent. And at the yeah. end of the day, God has challenged me to, again, I'm only responsible for sharing truth, Seth, right? One one sows, another waters, God brings the increase. And so That's right. while it's so discouraging that you don't see a lot of tangible fruit, like in the moment, God has just challenged me. No, my job is just is to just speak the truth. And there have been some that have listened. Um, one of the other things, Seth, that I've done is that when I see African-Americans pass by that live in that neighborhood, I've been intentional about saying, hey, like, you see that sign, that Margaret Sanger sign? Do you know who Margaret Sanger was? And I've come across a lot of black people that had no clue, that lived right there. Literally, there was a man, young, uh, uh, he was probably in his 30s. He told me he had never heard it. This was the first I ever, he had ever heard it. He lives a few doors down 
from Planned Parenthood. His wife actually had gone there for a quote-unquote health visit, and he was just like, oh, my God, I had no idea. So I, I directed him to some videos, like the Mafia 21 Project, to you yeah. know, just to learn some more information. And uh, I have seen God use... Wow. Um, I have seen God use me sharing of the truth to, at the minimum, set sow some seeds. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Wow, Lisa. Well, hey, let's finish with this. I want to give you a chance to speak to the church because you and I are in agreement that the church is a solution. As my friend uh, Mark Little says, when the church stands up, Satan sits down. Um, and when yes. we show up, everything changes because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, God could end abortion if he wanted to tomorrow, right? Well, is he yes. not powerful enough, Lisa? I guess he's not powerful enough, huh? Uh, it's been here 49 mm -hmm. years. What's up, God? Um, or, or he waits for his church to show up, um, and he chooses yes. to work through his people to accomplish his purposes in this world. Uh, yeah, abortion is happening with the permission of the church, to quote Francis Schaeffer. And every abortion center ought to have a sign out front that says, open with the permission of the Church of Jesus Christ. So um, pastors like Tim Keller in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, and many, 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 many more, Lisa, are very popular for publicly speaking out against racism, against systemic racism, uh, against what they call inequity, um, which, I mean, what does that even mean, inequity? It just means that we arrived at different locations, and they say, therefore, that is a result of systemic discrimination and racism. And so we got to tear down all the structures. Tim Keller is popular for saying in a viral clip, Lisa, that um, when you see evidence of racism and injustice, it's not enough to just say that that's a problem. You need to do something about it. Uh, that's the Christian version, Lisa, of the, of the left's phrase, silence is violence. <laughs> right? You remember that one? Right. Silence is yes. violence. Tim Keller is very popular for saying, Lisa, in a New York Times opinion editorial in 2018, um, that the churches who didn't get political in 1850 America were supporting the social status quo. Um, if they didn't get political, to do what? To end slavery. If they weren't getting political, they were supporting the social status quo, which was slavery. So according to Keller, not voting for Republicans, the anti-slavery party in 1850, was a support of slavery itself, which would then mean that voting for Democrats in 1850, Lisa, would be more directly in aiding and abetting slavery itself, because that was the party of the KKK. But then last year on Facebook, Lisa, Tim Keller says that Christians have liberty of conscience to vote however they want. In other words, God doesn't care about your vote. You can vote however you want. But Tim, I thought you said that seeing something and calling it a problem wasn't enough. And if you vote for the people who are targeting your neighbors, you're participating in that system. And the Democrat Party today believes the same thing they did then, Lisa, that not all humans are persons. And some human non-persons we can categorize as non-persons and lynch in the womb or murder. Um, but Tim says, Pastor Tim says, you have liberty of conscience, Lisa, to vote for Democrats today. It's totally fine and chill. God doesn't care if you vote for people who want to murder your neighbors. Um, he's just sort of a progressive stand-in for so much of the rot in American evangelicalism. And nowhere is that rot more pervasive than in California and New York churches. What is your word as we close out, Lisa, to the pastors, the shepherds, um, those who are supposed to be leading and protecting the flock? What is your word to them in this moment that I think you and I sense is a Kairos moment that will determine whether we end abortion very soon or it continues in perpetuity? Yes, Seth, you know, the Bible is crystal clear 
on 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 who God is as the author of life, as the creator of life, as the giver of life. We see this literally, Seth, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And you know, last year I did a I did a I did a walkthrough basically of all of the the incidents um, of God speaking way before the child was even born. Right? Like I thought about like um, uh, Isaac. God spoke to Abraham 25 years before he was born, and and. I'm not going to get into all of the other, you know, examples that we have other than Jesus himself, like you said, the the son of God, God himself, he came into this world as a baby and Seth, the very first person that recognized the Lord in the womb wasn't, was an unborn pre-born child, John the Baptist. I mean, it is, it couldn't be more crystal clear. And so my challenge to pastors is, is to please press through the fear. God is, that is not of God. God is not given us a spirit of fear you know we've quote these we've quoted these scriptures for years but now it's time to actually back up what we do believe it's not time to be fearful it's not about being politically correct abortion is not a political issue at its core it is a sin issue it is a it is a morality issue and the solution to all sin all immorality is what it's always been said it's the cross of jesus christ it is repentance and and i'm lately in this country right people are crying out to god we want revival we want change. Seth, we've got to repent. It starts right. with us. We've been asleep in the daytime. We've been asleep in the light, Seth. And it starts right. with the under shepherds. They will be under a greater account, right? That's what the word tells us. Pastors, That's preachers, right. teachers, those that are on the front line, they will give a greater, a deeper account. What are we gonna what are we going to say to God? Because the word even says, if you say that you didn't know, he will remind us. No, we very much knew. We very yeah. much knew. And then my deeper challenge, again, to every pastor that wants to say that they are all for the quality of life, improvement of life of blacks, Seth, we don't have life if we can't make it out the womb. That's where life <laughs> That's starts. Right. That's, That's where right. it starts. That's where all rights start. And it's not based off the Constitution even. They were given to us by God himself. This is That's where right. it all starts. And so... Gosh, Seth, there's so many things. Lord knows that I, I I can go on and on and on. But my charge is for pastors. Seriously, please, and again, and especially those that are African American, I'm pleading with you to please. If you seek God, it's impossible. It's impossible to walk away and think that abortion is a gray issue, that it's a matter of choice. It is crystal, crystal clear. God has set before us a choice of death and life. He always wants us to choose life, Seth. Always wants us to choose life. And it is up to us, the people of God, who have been redeemed from death, to stand for the most defenseless amongst us. It starts with the church of Jesus Christ. And again, for every black person that now has the liberty, I have Seth, I live, I live a very good quality of life, materially speaking. And life is not about that, but I'm grateful for all of those that stood and fought for me to enjoy the quality of life. I went to one of the, you know, I went to, to school out in the Hamptons. My husband is Ivy League. He's an Ivy League graduate. These are things that we've been able to experience because there were other African-Americans that knew in their heart how evil slavery was, that black people were always people, always. We were never three-fifths of people. We were always people because God said so. And if yeah. that's true about us as blacks, it's true about every pre-born child, Seth. They are human yeah. beings that are made in the image of God. And it is right. up to God's people 
to stand and to fight for life. The same way that Margaret Singer, she used the church as a part of her satanic ideology to to bring forth this uh, culture of death is the same way that God wants to use his church to usher in a culture of life. You're on fire, sister. I wish I could get you in every pulpit in New York. Um, It reminds me of something Malcolm Muggridge once said. He said that life is, is either in every circumstance of intrinsic value and dignity or it is never of any dignity. But it is inconceivable right. that it be so in the former. Uh, it be in some cases the former and in some cases the latter. It is inconceivable that life could be somehow sacred in some circumstances and somehow not sacred and worthy of protection in other circumstances. It's either always of intrinsic dignity, value, and worthy of protection or never. And, and anyone who says, well, yes in some cases and yes in other cases or no in other cases has absorbed a demonic, satanic, alternative worldview that says we as the elite class, we get to decide who's in and who's out of the human family, who gets those natural protections and natural rights and who doesn't. And if you accept that worldview, one day you won't be able to offer a defense of your own natural rights and why anyone else should protect them. Because you, to quote Abraham Lincoln, put in place the premises that justified your own enslavement. If we don't get the right to life right, we won't get any other rights right. And you are a living witness, sister, and we're so grateful and encouraged by you. Um, We'll be doing more together, I'm sure, hopefully in New York, um, and we'll be announcing this I Survived Sanger project that we worked on together soon that I think will really bless and fire up um, the listeners of this podcast, but also the people that you minister to in New York, and hopefully those wokey, woke-faced pastors um, who need to wake up and realize their duties. Uh, Lisa, thank you for joining us today, sister. Thank you for having me, Seth. It's been, it's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure you, and an honor to you share. You keep spitting fire. <laughs> keep it up. <laughs> By God's grace. Thank you so much. Amen. Well, hey, guys, thanks for joining us today. Um, I hope this uh, interview and conversation encouraged you. Share this broadly, would you, especially with um, sort of wokey woke Christians in your life um, who say they're pro-life or they they don't, but they vote for the very people murdering our neighbors. Um, share this with them, that it would convict them and have conversations with people in your life who disagree with you and be confident in your position. We are right. We are on the right side of history and you can be confident in that. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule or to book me for an event as 2022 calendar is already filling up. Give the show a rating and review. Subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes podcast. Let us know what you think. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to connect with Lisa, you can follow her on social media or you can go to lovelife.org. If you're in New York or New York City and you want to get involved with Love Life in New York City to take back spiritual ground, please do that. Lovelife.org or lovelife.org forward slash America. Let us know if you're in New York City and you want to get involved. Thanks so much for joining. We'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.